was Jeffrey Dahmer a Christian? It's kind of a little bit of a trick question here because he certainly was not a Christian while he was committing these murders, although some people might have thought that he was. I'm going to tell you more about that as we get into this study. Um, but the trick question is here, um, really, it's about after he committed the murders and he was in prison, uh, he made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and we're going to examine that today. Uh, this really, this study is not going to be so much about Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, it's going to be more a study of um, what are the qualifications for somebody to get genuinely saved, genuinely born again, according to the King James Bible. We're going to look about that today in this study. And the evidence I'm going to show you, number one, we're going to look at some video evidence, uh, mainstream media type of stuff. Uh, first part, some of the documentary stuff on, on Dahmer, and we're not going to get into a whole lot of his personal stuff. I'll say something about that in a minute here. But then the second part of it is, if you want to determine whether his conversion was genuine, okay, let's look at his public profession of faith. We'll do that first through video proof. And the second part is going to be uh, the pastor, the man that actually counseled Jeff Dahmer after his conversion. So this is the book about that, written by this guy. I read it, and we're going to be looking at this, doing a little bit of a review on this book. Very interesting insights into this whole thing. Now, if you are a younger viewer, you probably don't know who Jeff Dahmer was. Um, he's dead now. He's been dead for quite a few years. But it was back in the 1990s that it came out that this guy was basically, he was a sodomite. The modern word would be homosexual. I stick with the Bible term, sodomite. And um, he was a sodomite, and basically he would kill his victims and dismember them and cut them up in pieces. And he had, when they called him, uh, he was basically drunk, and he was trying to, he was going to kill a, another victim, a black guy, and uh, Jeff Dahmer was a white man. And I'll be putting pictures up here too. And um, basically this guy ran out onto the street, and Jeff Dahmer had handcuffed him. And uh, he runs out onto the street and he sees a patrol car and he runs up to the patrol car and says, this guy's crazy, he's trying to kill me, he's really messed up. And the police came up to the apartment and went in and they found, they uncovered this horrible thing. There were severed heads in, the, in his refrigerator, freezer, I think. Um, he had a bucket of body parts, you know, and, and just, he was doing some real sick stuff, you know. I would only really even suggest getting into studying what all he did. It was it was very perverted, very 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 grotesque, horrible stuff. All right. Um, in case you don't know what Jeff Dahmer was, all total he killed seventeen young men, young sodomites and things, um, and you know eating parts of them and preserving other parts and things. He wanted to make an altar of their bones. Um, yeah, he was a very 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 wicked man. Okay. Now here's the whole thing. Here's where the study, what this whole thing is about. All right. There's going to be two different types of people, two different types of responses, I should say it that way, to this question: Was Jeffrey Dahmer a Christian? After, you know, getting caught, going to prison, and he gets saved in prison, was he a Christian? Now, the one group of people is going to say, absolutely not, no way. If he was a Christian, if he was saved, then I don't want to go to heaven where he's at. You see, I don't, no way, he couldn't have been saved. What's their problem? Anybody that responds that way 
is counting on their own self-righteousness to get them to heaven. And see, if you're counting on your own good works to get you to heaven, then it certainly would seem absolutely just no way that this wicked man could have been saved. There's no way he's going to be in heaven. See, he couldn't possibly be good enough. See, most people believe in the two scales. You know, they believe that there's this scale. And if your if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you get in. That doesn't work. All right. That is false salvation. That's what Roman Catholics believe. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Mormons, any of them professing themselves to be Christian. They all believe in that. They all believe that they themselves are working their way to heaven. They'll add a little bit of Jesus in through the Eucharist or through good works, going door to door, whatever else. But it all comes back to themselves. So those people are going to be found out very quickly. You'll see them in the comments. This is absurd. This is ridiculous. If Jeff Dahmer is a Christian, then I don't want to be. You see? The second group are those of us that believe the King James Bible. And we can turn in our Bibles. I go to this passage a lot of times when I'm dealing with lost people. Because this is the very, very important thing that you need to understand from Scripture. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Was Jeff Dahmer sick? Yeah, he did some real sick things. I believe that he was possessed with devils to be able to do the kind of stuff that he did. I mean, very, very, very dark, twisted stuff that the guy did. He was sick. What's the qualification to be saved? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Was Jeff Dahmer righteous? Absolutely not. Was he a sinner? Yep. But the question is, did he repent? Was there godly sorrow that worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of? Was that there? You see, there's a lot of there's a lot of prisoners that all you know. All, I'm in jail and uh, things aren't looking too good, and they'll get a religious conversion experience, hoping to get out of prison. And I thought to myself, okay, the video evidence evidence looks pretty good for Dom being saved, but what was the real motivation? I mean, again, can we accept into our numbers some guy like this? who just says, I'm a Christian. I'm a professing Christian. I'm going to spoil the surprise a little bit. He went to church while he was doing this stuff. Some of it. I mean, you know, he had killed a guy back when he was like 17 years old, you know, right after he graduated from high school. You know, he was into some perverted stuff. And while he was going to church, he was doing some of this stuff. Starting to kill and things like that. And certainly doing sodomy. Hmm. Kind of makes you wonder about people that go to church. No such scripture telling you to go to church. I get that thing on me all the time. You don't go to church anywhere. You tell people not to go to church. Yeah, well, the Bible says that. The Bible does not anywhere say go to church. You're in church all the time if you're saved. All right. And again, I got to say that thing. I've seen this thing time and time and time again. I've gone to church buildings for years and years. I've preached in the pulpits. I was part of the system. I was a loyal, faithful, there every time the doors are open. The whole thing, Baptist, Independent Bible, Methodist, uh, 
trying to think if there's any others. I was in that system. So don't talk to me like, oh, you're just too lazy. Uh-uh. No, no, no. I was a faithful churchgoer for a long time. And I've seen this thing just like this Jekyll and Hyde thing with people. You get the, the oh, good, faithful church member. Oh, hello. how Welcome to stuff like this. And all of a sudden they're gone and you go, well, what happened? And then you hear, oh, he actually just left his wife or something like this. Oh, or this guy here, they just caught him. He just he killed the last two wives. And I'm not joking. I've heard this stuff. You know, murdering, adultering, drunkenness, drug addiction, all kinds of pornography addiction, child molestation, all kinds of things go on in these church buildings. Why? Because you put on your special little Sunday best outfit and you, ah, it's, the, it's the perfect cover for Satanists. The absolute perfect cover for people that are involved in all kinds of sex perversion. Because who would have ever thought it? He's a faithful church member. You study some of the lives of these serial killers, a lot of them were faithful church members. A lot of them. It's a great place to go. Why do you think there's so many children being raped by the Catholic priests? Nobody suspects old father so-and-so. He's a great man of God. I'll tell you what, you better be careful of that stuff. But now we're going to get into some of the uh, video evidence here. I'm going to show you this uh, Stone Phillips interview with Jeff Dahmer and his dad sitting there. And I'm going to play the whole thing through and then I'm going to, not the whole big video, it's like an hour and a half or something, I think. And um, But I'm going to just play the part where he, you know, makes his profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, very interesting. We're going to make some comments about it here after it's done. But let's just watch this. Your dad has wondered about all kinds of things, from the medication that your mom was on during her pregnancy, to the fact that you were exposed to violent arguments in the home from an early age and continuing, to the possibility that he might have passed on some genetic propensity for obsession or violent behavior. Does any of that ring true to you? I can see why he'd wonder about those things, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're all excuses because I didn't feel accountable to anybody. I didn't feel that I had to to uh, face what I had done ever. And uh, so you, you have, there comes a point where a person has to has to be accountable for what he's done. Can't go, can't go around making excuses, uh, blaming other people or other things. So I, I alone am the one who's responsible for what's happened. Let me ask, when did you first feel that, that everyone is accountable for their actions? Well, thanks to you for, for sending uh, that uh, creation science uh, material. Because I always, I always believe the, uh, the lie that uh, evolution is truth, the theory of evolution is truth, that we all just came from uh, the slime and uh, when, we, when we died, you know, that was it. There was nothing. So it, the whole theory cheapens life and uh, started reading books about how, that show how evolution is, is just a complete lie. There's, there's, no, there's no basis in science to, to uphold it. And I've come to, since come to believe that, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true creator of uh, the heavens and the earth. It just didn't just happen. And uh, I have accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that I, as, long, as well as everyone else, will be accountable to him. 
growing up, did you feel that you were accountable to your dad or to your mom as the authority yes, figure I in the house? Yes, I did. I mean, they, they didn't let me uh, run wild. They were, they disciplined me. And uh, so I felt accountable to them. But afterwards, after I left the home, that's, that's when I uh, started wanting to uh, sort of create my own little world where I could be the one who had the complete control, where I didn't have to uh, bow to anyone else's demands. And uh, I just took it way too far. Lionel? At that period of time, I had drifted away from a belief in a supreme being. And I never, as a result, passed along the feeling that we are all accountable in the end. He owns us. And that basic concept is very fundamental to all of us. You feel that the absence, at least for a while, of a strong religious faith and yes. belief for some years may have prevented you from instilling some of that in Jeff. That's right. Is that how you feel? Yes, I think I had a big, uh, big part to do to do with it. I mean, uh, if you don't, if a person doesn't think that there there is a God to be accountable to, then then what's what's the point of of trying to uh, modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That, that's how I thought anyway, and uh, I've since come to believe that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is truly God. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the only true God. There you have it. Isn't that something? Uh, now, if you heard anybody else say that, would you say that they're saved? Pretty convincing. But you see, oh, it's Jeff Dahmer, so it can't be true. He can't be a Christian. Well, we're going to look at more evidence uh, that I believe proves conclusively that, yes, he did get saved. But let's look at the different things here that he brought up, five different things. Number one, personal accountability for sin. He knew he was a sinner. He understood that he is going to be accountable. He's going to stand before God, and he's guilty before God. Personal accountability for sin. Self-righteous people never get to that point. Unless it's just a general basic, oh yes, well, all have sinned. Yeah, I get that. We're all sinners, blah, blah. What about your sins? Well, who are you to bring up my sins? Oh, I'm not that bad of a person. I've dealt with them just years and years and years and years and years. Dealt with people like that. Secondly, creation science. Understanding, hey, there is a God. Right? That is the truth. Oh, well, we should find common ground with evolutionists. I'll never find common ground with evolutionists. If you believe in evolution, you are deceived by Satan. Evolution is a, the, one of the dumbest, most stupid things that has ever been created. Everything came from nothing accidentally at some undetermined time in the past. You're an idiot if you really believe that. I mean, give me a break. Evolution is a lie. Absolutely. Evolution is a total lie. And when you actually look at science without the, all the little you know, things with evolution stuff and the, the preconceived notions of evolution, because you've got to get rid of God, you, know, you approach nature by looking and saying, we have to find ways to get rid of God, so we have to deny that this was created. We have to say it evolved slowly over time. When you get rid of that stupid nonsense, uh, you know, you're going to come and you're going to say, okay, yeah, it had to have been created. There must be a God. There must, God must be real. All right. And again, let me just say this. 
uh, like what Dahmer said there. If evolution is true, let me ask you out there, if you're an atheist, I know you're self-righteous. Every atheist I've ever met is always self-righteous. Well, I'm not that bad a person. I'm not a sinner. These wicked people. But let me ask you a question for you evolutionists out there, you evolutionary atheistic morons out there. Let me ask you something. Oh, you're getting offended. Oh, isn't it incredible? It's funny too because evolutionist, you know, evolutionist, evolutionistic atheists, let me get it out, they offend so quickly. They get so offended. And I've said to them numerous times, how does emotion fit into your uh, scientific beliefs? You know, I'm just a crazy religious crackpot to you people. But why are you getting so emotional? I call you a fool. I call you an idiot and a moron. And you get all of, of emotional. Well, how dare you? Oh. It's all about science, isn't it? But let me ask you something for the evolutionist out there, the atheist out there. Um, what was wrong with what Jeff Dahmer did from a purely scientific standpoint? What did he do wrong? If evolution is true, the strongest survive. He proved it. Jeff Dahmer proved evolution. I mean, he literally verified the evolutionary lie. He was stronger than his victims. The strongest survive. He has just eliminated weak people from the gene pool. There's nothing wrong with what Jeff Dahmer did if you believe in evolution. And that's why he did what he did, because he believed the satanic lie of evolution. And it is satanic. It is completely satanic. It is Luciferian. You can be as God's knowing good and evil. Satan's original lie in the Garden of Eden. That's what every atheist believes. But number four, Jeff Dahmer confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, said he is his Lord and Savior. He made a public profession of faith. He did not deny Jesus Christ before men. He didn't say, well, I, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Well, you know, I just... Uh, I attend my local church or something like this, or I was confirmed, baptized and confirmed in the Catholic Church last week or something. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. He made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, could he have been faking it? Well, sure. We're going to look at the evidence of that, though, later. But I found it interesting, too, there at the towards the end of the clip, he says that he believes that Jesus is totally God, or I, forget, I think it was totally God, and that he is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Hmm. That's what I believe. You say, well, you believe that they're all the same. No, no, I don't. But I believe that they're all in one, all in one body. It cracks me up. I see this all the time. You know, those, you know, these people that believe in this Catholic trinity, this pagan trinity of Jesus has a body, soul, and spirit. God has a body, soul, and spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a little dove that flies around. And he's got a body, soul, and spirit. And they're not connected. They're just, in essence, divine essence. They're connected in divine essence. Divine essence, where's that at in scripture? You know, <laughs> stupid nonsense. No, it's body, soul, and spirit. Three in one. First John 5, 7. These, you know, little Catholic Trinitarians will come along and they'll go, First John 5, 7 proves that we're right. You know, there's three gods and they're one. <laughs> no, there's one God. All right? Three in one. Again, I've proved that many times, but I just found it interesting that even Dahmer... You know, the Lord revealed that to him. But uh, let's just, uh, let's watch another video here. And um, 
here you're going to actually see the fact that Jeff Dahmer was going to church uh, while he was doing some of this perverted stuff. Right? Let's watch this. Cleveland Hopkins Airport. And uh, he had a smile on his face. But as I got closer, it wasn't a smile of happiness. It was a smile of inebriation. Lionel tried for a year to help his alcoholic son to no avail. Jeff was sent to stay with his father's mother near Milwaukee. There, he seemed to find some stability at last, making a concentrated effort to turn his life around. He stopped drinking, went to church with his grandmother, and he fought what he believed were immoral homosexual urges, which eventually led to his inescapable fantasies about murder. Dahmer even found jobs, first at a blood bank, and then working nights as a chocolate mixer in a candy factory. But the lifestyle of church-going and right-living, as he called it, didn't last. After three quiet years in his grandmother's home, Jeff came face to face with his fears. At the library, a man handed him a note offering sexual favors. Dahmer declined, but he would later say the note was a turning point. It awakened sexual desires deep inside him. Specifically, he wanted the submissive company of another male. He wanted someone to fulfill his sexual needs, but he didn't want to be burdened by anyone else's needs. Better get a hold of this, okay? Very, very, very important, because this is what the struggle is within the body of Christ. You'll see false converts and truly saved. False converts, what are they trying to do? They go to church and they do lots of nice things and everything else. Why? To try to turn their own life around. They try to serve God with their own flesh and, you know, in their own self-righteousness. And that's why you poke these people hard enough, you, you hit them hard enough with the sword of the Spirit, they'll run away. They can't handle it. And all of a sudden they'll start throwing around the same exact language as lost people and say, who are you to judge me? Do the same thing as lost people. It's pretty incredible. But again, for those out there that believe in easy believism, was Jeff Dahmer saved? He was a professing Christian, faithful church attendee. You know, back when I was in Pennsylvania, there was a guy, Charlie Roberts, and uh, he went in and he uh, tried to rape a bunch of young Amish girls, ended up killing, I forget how many of them and things at this Amish school, and, and killed the teacher, I think that it was too, and then killed himself. Bloody, murderous, you know, killer. Faithful churchgoer. That's what I've been saying for years and years and years. Church buildings are an abomination. You know? There's nowhere in Scripture where you're told to build a building, call it a church, and invite the saved and lost to go to it. And all that happens is these people come into these buildings and they see all the nice little standards and they sing the hymns and they do, do nice little good service things for people and everything else. And they can go there and they can be just as lost as any drunken bum out on the street. But they can appear to be good people, faithful attendees at their local church. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Big difference there. But uh, we're going to take a break here for a minute or two. And um, I'm going to get the overhead camera set up and uh, get my laptop computer put away here. And I will be right back. All right. Now we're going to do a review of the book here by this guy, Roy Ratcliffe. 
Let me show you here on the overhead camera. Here it is. There's his picture on the back. He is a Church of Christ pastor. And I have major issues with the Church of Christ. They teach a false uh, salvation where it is baptism that saves you. Uh, there's a whole lot of other issues with the Church of Christ. Um, bad situation. And so, you know, I approached this thing skeptically and I said, okay, you know, Jeff Dahmer's video looked a good profession of faith there, certainly. But uh, Church of Christ, I'm going, Ugh. but, you know, new babe in Christ there. He's a, he's a young Christian. Young Christians make mistakes. I made plenty of them when I first got saved. Uh, I won't even tell you some of the stuff I used to believe after I first got saved. Pretty bad. But the Lord straightened me out pretty quickly on those things, too. And the Lord will straighten out anybody who's genuinely saved. Um, you're going to come to the truth. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit will do for you. But uh, we're going to get go through this book here, and I'm going to show you some of the things going on. And again, you have to look at this thing of, uh, this is what this guy's reporting that Jeff Dahmer said. And I've seen this thing with with preachers. They'll, they'll kind of... Uh, doctor up the truth a little bit to kind of make themselves look a little bit more holy and whatever else. And I'm, I'm saying that for a reason. You're going to see why I said that here as we continue. Let me show you a little bit of this here. Okay. I have some stuff highlighted. I don't have any pages marked. Uh, zoom in here. Uh, here he hears that there's a minister. Robert just talked with a minister in Oklahoma active in prison work, Curtis Booth, who was in contact with a prisoner here in Wisconsin who wanted to be a, become a Christian. This is what he, this Ratcliffe guy is hearing. So, page 21 here. Um, Later, though, I learned that the prison minister in Oklahoma, Curtis Booth, who had contacted Rob McRae, was actually the first person from the Church of Christ to contact Jeffrey Dahmer. Booth sent him a Bible correspondence course and a Bible a week earlier than Mary Mott did. So these are Church of Christ people that are contacting Jeff Dahmer. Now that would be very, very bad if he hadn't had any other influences, but he did have other influences, which we'll get into. Um, here he gets into some of the false stuff that the Church of Christ teaches. It says, well, I used to think baptism was an op optional thing, but I've done some reading and studying on the subject, and I've realized that I need to have my sins washed away, like Paul did in Damascus. Uh, Acts 22, verse 16, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. In the past, I picked up the idea from watching religious shows on television that baptism is not very important, Jeffrey said. Uh, it's not that it's not important, it's just not going to wash your sins away. The blood of Jesus Christ washes your sins away which is the big contention thing between Church of Christ and those that are saved. Now he said his views had changed. He had come to believe in the importance of baptism by studying books and pamphlets and the New Testament books of Mark, Acts, and Romans. He believed he needed to be buried with Christ as Romans describes it. He wanted to be baptized like many were on the day of Pentecost as reported in Acts. Finally he said, I really want to be baptized. He believed in Jesus Christ and said he wanted to put him on in baptism, a common phrase in my Christian fellowship. Okay, again, you know, I read this, I underlined it, I'm like, okay, this doesn't look good. This might mean that Jeff Dahmer was a false convert, because baptism does not wash away your sins. Baptism is important, I believe in baptism, but it is just simply, it's a symbolic thing 
where your, your old man is dead, buried with Jesus Christ, and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Is it necessary for salvation? No, it's not necessary for salvation. Right? Uh, early on in the book of Acts, again, people get this all mixed up. The day of Pentecost, you saw it there in the book. They'll, they'll go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. That's the plan of salvation. No, it's not. Acts is a transitioning book. You're transitioning from the gospel being presented to the Jews as a people to the point where now it's Jews and Gentiles. All right? A whole other study there, but, you know, the, the point is baptism does not wash away your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ does. But uh, this guy, this Ratcliffe guy, uses the NIV, which you're going to see throughout this thing. Here he quotes on page 31. Regardless of all that, Paul said, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here again, this is why you don't use the new versions. The King James Bible says, are Okay? Not were. You are. Okay? Very important there. Um, it says here's religious background of the Church of Christ, he said. Okay? The, the church denomination that Dahmer was raised in was the Church of Christ. Right? Which is kind of funny because it's like, you know, again, you know, the Church of Christ is very cultic where they are teaching their people that only the Church of Christ, only the Church of Christ, you know. Uh, they might say others are saved, but the Church of Christ has it right, you know. And so Dahmer, you know, I believe he got saved, and I'll show you the reason why later. But I believe he got saved, and he doesn't know who else to talk to or whatever else, and he thinks, I guess, the Church of Christ. Again, a, a early mistake, you know. I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, when I got saved, um, truly saved, not my church-building profession thing that I did when I was a little boy in Sunday school, when I truly got saved, I went to a Baptist church, Independent Baptist Church, and I thought to myself, Independent Fundamental, IFB. Went to my, I thought to myself, well, if they're Baptist, they have to believe the King James Bible is God's word. That's what I've heard. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong? Uh, you'll do some really dumb things. I mean, I just, I'll tell you another one. You're, some of you are really going. This is really going to blow your minds. I don't. I think I might have said this in other studies, but. When I first got saved, you ready? I actually thought Catholics were saved. When I first got saved, okay? When I when I was, you know, when the Lord saved me, I had at that point in time I was thinking that Roman Catholics were saved. They just had some weird beliefs or whatever. <laughs> you know? And and see here's the whole thing. You'll do some real dumb things when you first get saved, and you'll say some stupid things and you'll believe stupid things, but you know what? The Holy Spirit will come along and he'll teach you. And, he'll, you know, God's, the gentle spirit of God is going to blow your mind as you're saved for a long time. And you and all of a sudden you look back at your life as a Christian and you go, I can't believe God put up with me. Some of the stuff I was saying, some of the mistakes, some of the things that came out of my mouth. And you're going, wow, it's really bad. God will be gentle with you when you first get saved. And he will lead you. He will gently guide you along and say it. No, no, <laughs> Catholics aren't saved, Brian. You know, let me show you. You know, and there you go. You know, he convinced me over the years of study. But let's get back to this book here. He says, when I stayed with my grandmother in Milwaukee, I went to church with her. In fact, I really tried to get into going to church, but it was never interesting to me. Most of what I know about religion I've picked up from television. Not a very good teacher. 
And certainly going to the Church of Christ is not a very good teacher either. But again, for the easy believism people out there, you know, Jeff would have professed to be a Christian at some point in time. Was he saved and doing all this stuff? Of course not. But who would have known? And how many other Jeff Dahmers are out there in these church buildings right now? I think it's probably an even more important question. Page number 51. He made a con conscious decision to no longer resist his evil impulses, but to yield to them. After this, no God and no law could control him. He became a law unto himself. Again, this is what happened with Jeff Dahmer. And for the atheists out there, what did he do wrong? He didn't do a thing wrong, according to atheistic evolution. If there is no God, if, if we're just here by random chance, Dahmer did nothing wrong. You see, well, the morals of society, where'd they come from? Well, but, but we just have morals. Of people. Where did it come from? Do morals evolve? And wouldn't those morals of saying don't kill weaker people, isn't that getting in the way of evolution? I mean, really, truly, if evolution is real and true, you kill to get ahead. And don't tell me that you don't. The strongest must survive. For the species to continue, the strongest must survive. Dahmer was not a criminal if you believe in evolution. Genuinely believe in evolution. But you see, evolution is for self-righteous hypocrites. That's the whole purpose of evolution. That's the whole reason it was created in the first place. Get rid of God because you're not that bad of a person. And this, this idea of, of judgment is just so, uh, you know, yeah. Here we have page 53. Certainly, Jeffrey, get to the next page here. Uh, Dahmer's efforts to control himself failed hideously. He needed something beyond himself, something more powerful than himself. Which is true. Absolutely true. Um, again, these people that try to control themselves. That's why there's so much of this, this horrible stuff that happens in these church buildings. So much hypocrisy among professing Christians. Yeah. They're trying to control themselves. They're trying to, to maintain a system of whatever and things like this. It's bad. That's why these Catholic priests fall all the time. Why? Because they're trying to control themselves and they can't do it without the Lord's help. They need to come broken as sinners. Not, well, I'm a good person. I'm Father so-and-so and I have a PhD and a THD and, yeah, wicked. And this kind of quotes the uh, thing here, page 55. This quotes what he said there to in the interview. If a person doesn't think there, that there is a God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. I always believe the theory of evolution is truth, that we all just came from the slime. When we died, you know, that was it. There is nothing, and I've since come to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is truly God, and I believe that I, as well as everyone else, will be accountable to Him. You know, um, it was aired November 29th, 1994 the day after his death. It's ironic because I remember um, the year I graduated high school was 1994. So I was out of high school and I remember driving to work that day and I heard the story of Dahmer being killed in prison. Kind of strange to think back to that now. But uh, 58, page 58, change is required, a new way is needed. Okay? Yeah, right there. That's what salvation is all about.
How could he turn to accept God? Or, or excuse me, who could he turn to accept God? Sorry, trying to read the overhead camera thing here. Certainly no human would hear the cries of his heart and believe the depth of his sorrow. Only God could. Yeah. Okay. And, that, and, and again, let me just say this. I've got to kick the Catholic confessional. You can go and confess your sins to some dirty pervert priest out there. It doesn't mean anything. God is the only one that can forgive sins. All right. In spite of what the papists try to teach. Let's continue here. Page 59. But after Jeffrey's arrest, a veil was lifted. He began to see order and design in the universe. He began to see the case for God and to see Jesus as the only answer for the havoc he had wreaked in his life. He began to have hope for his ultimate fate. Is it possible that God could really love him, Jeffrey Dahmer? Could the salvation that Jesus offers be available to him too, despite his heinous acts? Did Jesus die for Jeffrey Dahmer too? He began to see that the issue was not what he thought about humanity or evolution, but uh, what he thought about God, he began to study the Bible. While in prison, Jeff received reams of unsolicited religious materials. Here's the key from well-meaning people. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'm just going to spoil the surprise. I believe this man right there, I believe he's lost. Well, you talk about a flip. Jeff Dahmer, the serial killer, murdering cannibal sodomite ends up in heaven and a church of christ pastor ends up in hell he's not a bible believing christian i'm going to show you the proof of that as we continue on here but he got insulted there the well-meaning people sent unsolicited material yeah it turns out that there were some things sent to him from the institute of creation research found that in some other uh, you know study that i was doing about Dahmer and, and everything else institute for creation research uh, where's the thing at here? Do I have it? Um, Dr. Henry Marsh is the guy. I have a the Defender Study Bible somewhere here. Unless I have it in my files someplace else. I thought I had it here. The whole point is, Dr. Henry Marsh, um, I have some issues with, with some of his stuff, but he believed the King James Bible and wrote about manuscript evidence for the King James Bible. And it was his materials that got Dahmer saved. And Dahmer is a baby Christian. Many baby Christians do, made the mistake of thinking, well, okay, I'm saved, and I guess the people in the Church of Christ are too. Big mistake. And their materials were what was leading him astray and getting him messed up. But the fact is, you're going to see here as we continue, Jeff Dahmer believed the King James Bible, and he was against the new versions. And his salvation came before meeting this guy. Hmm. And you're going to see this attitude that this guy has against Bible-believing Christians. And the fact that he tries to turn Jeff away from being one, and Jeff doesn't do it. It's exciting. Let's continue. Uh, you know, then he talks about uh, down here, these Church of Christ people sending things. The courses were produced by World Bible School, a Church of Christ ministry. The course's strong evangelical message resonated with his need, and he studied and became convinced of the necessity of baptism in the salvation process. Ain't wrong. The churches of Christ emphasize baptism as an act of faith. That's why they go to hell. But uh, here's talking about um, the stuff that his son, or excuse me, his father sent to him. Remember in the in the interview, 
What did he say? He did not say, when I talked to the Church of Christ pastor, you know, Pastor uh, Roy Ratcliffe, Cliff Rat, we were calling him, my wife and I, but, you know, we like little fun and names and stuff like that. We don't hate people. We just like to be sarcastic and have fun. But if you remember in the interview that we watched earlier, he says, uh, you know, his dad looks at him and he goes, you know, when did you start to have a change of mind or whatever? And he says, when you sent me those creation materials. He's not talking about the Church of Christ stuff. He's talking about the stuff from the Institute of Creation Research, Henry Morris. That's what got him saved. The gospel was clearly presented, not this Church of Christ nonsense about be baptized and join the church and things like that. Sounds like Catholicism to me, really. No connections there. I, I always head towards conspiracy. You know, it's such a problem. Page 61. He says here, I want to accept the Lord's salvation, but I don't know if the prison will allow me to be baptized. Well, he was already saved. He didn't need this baptism stuff. You know, the Church of Christ method to save him. All right, page 65. During this time, I would take Jeff's confession of faith in Jesus Christ. I knew that Jeff believed on Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, but tradition dictated that I formally ask him. So he already had a profession of faith before being baptized. Did he understand that baptism serves to bring assurance that Christ's blood washes away sins? Would he appreciate the this biblical truth? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have baptized many, many people who have not appreciated the fact that their sins were washed away. Okay, well, you're kind of contradicting yourself there. It's not the water that washes away sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's not, you know, baptism serves to bring assurance. No, it doesn't. This isn't what baptism is about. Baptism is about you dying to your old self and being resurrected as a new creature in Christ Jesus. Water didn't wash your sins away. The blood of Jesus Christ washed it away on the cross. If you think that you're going to get baptized, all you're going to do is get wet. right? You need to have faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for your sins. Jeff, sit down for a few minutes, I said. This is probably obvious, but I need to be sure you understand that baptism has something to do with your sins. Do you understand uh, what baptism does to your sins? Oh yes, I know it washes away my sins. If anyone needed to have his sins washed away, it is me. In fact, I'm looking forward to it and counting on it. Okay? And again, I'm going, hmm, this is a bad thing. I'm reading through the book, I'm going, maybe he wasn't saved. But then I see later on, though, he was saved. He just was confused by this false prophet coming to him here. And, you know, and again, I see this thing. People say, well, false prophet means that they're making false prophecies about the future. Yeah, but, you know, I'm using it in the sense of somebody being a liar in terms of preaching and things, too. All right, continuing. Page 68. Um, you know, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? He smiled as he gave his answer. Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In fact, I've said so lots of times in the various interviews I've given to the media, but each time when the report airs, that part is left out. I actually was trying to find a better definition video of the thing I played, and I found one. It was really high definition, and the woman cut out the part of his testimony. You know, I'm thinking, that's a little crooked. People just, people can't stand the thought of thinking that some sinner, some wicked sinner like Dahmer, is going to be in heaven someday. 
They can't stand that thought because they're trusting in their own self-righteousness, you see. Page 69. Chaplain Berkham returned before we were to be escorted to the Whirlpool. If redemption is what you want, he said, you might consider what the Muslims do here in prison. They believe that by simply rubbing their hands against a rough surface, like the wall of the prison, that they can gain redemption. Have you ever considered doing this instead? I was shocked to hear this. I looked at Jeff, and he looked at me with the same look of unbelief. How could a chaplain who claims to be a Christian suggest that we follow a Muslim custom for gaining redemption? Was he trying to stop this baptism before it could occur? I've never understood why he said this. Well, because he was a professional preacher, paid chaplain, fake. That's why. Page 71. Jeff, upon your confession of faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, no, your sins were, his sins were already forgiven when he put his faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is only uh, symbolic of the fact that he is born again, become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Page 83. His reply was a comfort to me. No, I'm proud of you for telling the world that I believe in Jesus Christ. My main comp complaint with the media is that in every interview I speak of my faith, but when the interviews are aired, they cut that section out. I'm glad that you were able to tell the world that I am a believer. All right, uh, what was going on there is this cheap hireling here, you know, went and uh, baptized Dahmer, and then a member of his church, Radcliffe's church, was a, uh, she was from the media, and she was like, you know, let me know. We want to write a story about this thing. Why? Again, you know, I've had contact with people and they say, please keep my name private. Sure. Absolutely. But he did this and the total media blew up and everything else. And, and well, I didn't know that that was going to happen. Please. Please. <laughs> of course he knew. It's in all these interviews and things, and you'll see this this Radcliffe guy in documentaries. If you watch anything on Dahmer, you'll see him being interviewed and everything else. But he had no idea that that was going to happen. Yeah. But, you know, again, the, the only positive part of that is that you see that Dahmer wanted to be able to make sure that he's confessing Jesus Christ publicly. Again, the mark of true conversion, not the mark of false conversion. I mean, how many Church of Christ people I've met, known over the years, and uh, they certainly don't care about professing Jesus Christ openly. Page 85. Uh, baptism does not take away crimes. It addresses sins. No, it doesn't. The issue in baptism doesn't concern justice in the society. It concerns the forgiveness of God. Again, this is, this is a total lie here that he's saying. Okay, baptism does not take away your sins. Continuing, Jeff's crimes cry out for justice. People seethe with righteous indignation when they think of his horrible deeds. He needs to suffer for the crimes he committed. Hence, they believe hell is the proper place for Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, because they're self-righteous. No one understood this quite as well as Jeff. He understood that it was from the anger and wrath of God that he sought redemption. Baptism is about salvation, the redemption of the soul. Liar. That is not true. That is not what the Bible says. Okay, baptism is, a, is an action that you take. Right? It is man entering in his little works that he's done. It says here, I wanted to give 
him a simple faith in Jesus Christ and protect him from some of the arguments and controversies that have raged within my faith, but that was not to be. Jeffrey came from a life of almost unimaginable depravity to accept Jesus Christ. Why? Uh, why? Why? Maybe it's a misprint. Would he be concerned with the fine points of any religion? Uh, the fact is that Dahmer was not just, oh, I, I just, that's fine, I'm whatever. He wanted to study the Bible and he did a lot of study. Pretty interesting stuff. Page 91. You were the first person to ever say publicly that I believe in Jesus, and I thank you for that, he said. Again, why is Dahmer so concerned about people knowing that he's professing to be saved? Why would he even care? I mean, if he was a false convert, he knew he wasn't getting out. He had gotten like 17 uh, life sentences in prison. Not going to get out of that, okay? Um, what was the point? He got saved. Wanted to make sure that he confessed Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Continuing here, page 92. Jeff started off with questions. He was absolutely full of questions. Genuine, 100% mark of a true conversion. I've seen that thing so many times. I saw it in my own life. When I first you know, claimed to be a Christian, I had no questions. You know, I was being forced to go to church and, and all this stuff. And, you know, I had to be there all the time. I didn't even like going as a child. You know, and it got more and more so as I got older. By the time I was 17 years old, it was like, yeah, I got to work on Sunday. Dad and Mom, I can't be there. Oh, you shouldn't be working on Sunday. Yeah, I know, but, you know, they really need me this week and whatever. And, and I got to the point where I was just like, I'm not going back. I couldn't stand it. You think I had lots and lots of questions? I didn't. I did my religion thing when, you know, Christmas and Easter came around or whatever else or other special little events. I'd go to church. Other than that, I could have cared less. Very clean living, you know, at least to most people, you know. Yeah, but you get saved. And all of a sudden, the questions start. I wonder what about the Bible version issue? I wonder about this thing of creation. I wonder what the, what do Catholics believe anyhow? And I wonder about, and I wonder, that's the reason for this whole ministry. King James Video Ministry started out as a ministry defending the Word of God, the King James Bible, and I started getting questions from people. And it's like, well, okay, I can do a video on that, and here we are 1,200 videos later. You know, <laughs> people have questions when they get saved. But here's where it gets real interesting. Let's read this. Page 94. Well, I just want to do everything right. I've lived my life in the wrong ways long enough. I, want, I just want to do what is right as far as God is concerned, he said. Jeff Dahmer speaking there. His second question was even more surprising than the first one. What translation of the Bible should I use? What translation do you use, he asked. Hmm. Again, I entered the discussion naively, not knowing that he had... He already had a version in mind. I use the New International Version. Radcliffe speaking here, he says, I have studied the Greek and the Hebrew languages, and I've studied the different translations in terms of accuracy and readability. <laughs> yeah. It is very important that a translation is accurate, but it's equally important that the message be understandable in the clearest language possible. In the end, I finally settled on the New International Version. Check this out. 
By the look on his face, I could tell my answer did not sit well with him. Well, I use the King James Version, he said. <laughs> Amen. Everything I've read tells me that this is the only reliable version of the Bible and that the Greek text that the King James translation is based on is superior to all other Greek texts. Why would you use any other translation? Don't you find that the, don't you find the King James translation hard to read in places, I asked? You know, again, uh, you know, just got to stop there for a minute. You know, the philosophy of the new versionist is, well, the King James Version is hard to understand in some places. It should be easy. Uh, no, there are some parts of Scripture that are hard to understand. Absolutely. Oh, but, but we mean the archaic language. Uh, well, if you do some study into it, I know that uh, there's a book out here. I should probably do a review of this thing sometime. Archaic Words in the Authorized Version. And there's a whole section in the back. This is uh, Lance, Lawrence, Lawrence Vance. And there's a whole section in the back here that he has... See if I can get to it. Um, we actually compares the uh, NIV. Yeah, archaic words in the NIV. Um, see if I can get this thing here. I'm trying to see. Yeah, here you have, uh, there you have the NIV right there. And down here, you can see that list. The uh, King James is over here on this side. If I can show that. There's the King James words. Here's the NIV words over here. Many, many, many places the NIV uses much more difficult to understand words. But these guys, these scammers like this Ratcliffe will come along and they'll say, it's just so hard to understand the King James Bible. And I know why they say that. Because of the same reason it was hard for me to understand the King James Bible before I got saved. I used an NIV for 15 years before I got saved. From the time I was 10 till the time I was 25 years old. Memorized quoted it and everything else in the Sunday school and everything growing up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the King James Version seemed foreign to me. You know why? Because it's Holy Spirit inspired. The NIV is not. I'm going to talk more about manuscript evidence here just as we, as we continue. But uh, ask him here if it's hard to understand. He says, well, Dahmer says, well, yes, but that's not the point. For me, the issue is accuracy. And I believe the King James is the most accurate Bible translation. Now look at the condescending thing here. I tried to proceed gently. Okay? Just stop right there again. I mean, this is, this is textbook classic Alexandrian textual higher criticism. This is, this is perfect. Uh, where's the book? Okay? I had to proceed gently. Because I'm dealing with an idiot here. And it's just so important. Oop, grabbed the wrong one. This is actually Peter Ruckman's answer to James White. <laughs> Good book. But um, here you have James White's book. Silly little jerk that he is. 
James White, can you trust the modern translations? Look what he has up here at the top. This is the best book in print on an, excuse me here, on a topic too often riddled with emotion and ignorance. I'm trying to read it in the camera viewfinder thing there. Norman Geisler, he's a Jesuit, trained at two different Jesuit universities. Man, a trained Jesuit writes this thing here and James White puts it on his book. Hmm. You see the attitude of the uh, people that use the new versions and defend these new versions, claim to know Greek and Hebrew? Oh, well, I have to. Oh, you, you believe the King James Bible? Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh. I don't want to insult you, but let me just speak down to your level. Insanity. People are Luciferian liars. And I'll demonstrate that in just a minute. He says here, well, there's a lot of debate on that issue. There certainly is. There are problems with the King James Version because so many of the English words have changed their meaning since that translation was made. Okay, another one of the classic attacks against the King James Bible. What do you mean, he asked. A number of words mean just the opposite today from what they meant in 1611. Now watch, watch this little leap of, of sophistry here. One example is the word let. Paul uses it in Romans to say that he intended to come to them, but Satan let him. What he, meant, what he means is that Satan hindered him. This use of the word let is found today only in tennis. Wait a second here. I thought you just said up here, number of words mean just the opposite today from what they meant in 1611. But it's used today in tennis. Turn on the Wimbledon Cup on your television, and there it comes up, and, they go, and the ball hits the net, and they go, let. But it's archaic. Nobody knows what it means. See? Sophistry. Okay? Just again, a tactic of the Jesuits, and I, I'm not calling the guy a Jesuit, I don't know. But the whole point is a, a, a tactic that's taught. Jesuits teach it to these types of people, these Alexandrian perverts, and then they use it, and they'll say, oh, that word is passed out of common usage. See, it's, it's similar to what is used today in tennis. Well, then it didn't pass out of common usage, did it? Anybody home? Knock, knock, you know. It's used today in tennis, but it's passed out of common use. Okay. Yeah. Or you can just, you know, read the King James Bible, and when somebody says, what does it mean, let? You say, well, you know, like in tennis, or some other quote-unquote archaic word, you just say, well, this is what they mean by that. You can see it in the context. That'd be too hard, I guess. Okay. Um, continuing here, he says, when a ball is stopped by the net is a let ball. Uh, today the word has the meaning of to allow, not hinder. No, it doesn't. You just set it up there. The King James has many words like that, and I find myself spending half my time needing to redefine the words hmm, in order to understand the message. See? This is what the new versions do. Let's rewrite the Bible. As long as you don't change the message. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he said, but what about its accuracy? Check this out. Well, all Bible translations are based on Greek manuscripts. None go back to the original. All are copies, and most are copies of copies of copies. The oldest and most reliable, uh-oh, complete manuscripts date only to the 400 A.D. era. Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Don't tell him that. 
Just tell him it's the oldest and most reliable. You know? Nearly all of these were either not discovered at the time of the King James translation or were not available. Another lie. Let me just show you here real quickly. Right here, I have a Reams New Testament. This is an official one put out by the Catholic Church. The real deal, it's not the uh, Dewey Reams, uh, the modern ones. That was actually changed to the Challoner Revision. Changed to read more like the King James Bible back in the 1800s. This is the real one from 1582, complete with notes written by Jesuits. Again, I'm not joking. This is a Jesuit translation. 1582. 1611. And most of these newer uh, updated readings that are in the NIV appear in here. They're right in there. But the translators of the King James Bible, they didn't have access to the uh, changes in the modern versions. Uh, 1582. And Erasmus, when asked if he had seen the uh, Vaticanus manuscript, he said, yeah, he was familiar with the readings of it. Got that in other books too. The readings were available. Of course they were available. But see, if you're a liar, like this Ratcliffe guy, and believing a lie, um, they're just going to, you know, repeat this stuff. And by the way, I just need to say this too. Right here I have the uh, Nestle's text, both the 27th and the 28th edition. I've showed this before. King James Bible is based on a different text, the received text, the Textus Receptus. This comes down through the Greek Orthodox system. This is from the Roman Catholic Church, right here. Jesuit Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini was on the board of editors of the Nestle's text. He's dead and frying in hell right now, uh, with which we can all be grateful. Very wicked man. But they tell you, they'll say, well, the NIV is accurate to the Greek. What they don't tell you is it's from the Nestle's. Sometimes you can see it if you look into some more of the writing and things. But the fact of the matter is, if you look into what Vaticanus and Sinaiticus contained, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus both contained apocryphal books, extra books that are not part of our King James Bible, as part of the inspired text. But wait a second, the NIV is the most accurate, or one of the most accurate, trusted translations. Well, if it was, it would include those extra books but they don't include them, at least not yet. And the new versions are starting to include these deuterocanonical or apocryphal books. Again, I can prove that. I don't know if I have it here with me right now. Yeah. The new reviled standard version. And there you can see, and it has the extra books. Hmm. Interesting. New version. Maybe that's why they also came out with uh, another one here. See if I can find it quickly. How about the uh, Catholic Youth Bible? Right there. New Revised Standard Version. Right there. A uh, Protestant Bible. Catholic Bibles. That's what they are. But let's continue here. Okay, the Greek text the King James Bible is based on comes from newer, not older manuscripts. Most people consider the Greek text used for the King James Bible to be inferior, not superior to modern day Greek texts. 
Okay, let me just stop there again. Again, oh, well, most people. Have you talked to everybody? You know, I don't think so. Most of these Bible colleges are totally, completely infiltrated by the Jesuits. Again, you know, this, I've been able to prove this stuff in the past. You know, there are many, 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 you know, accounts of this whole thing. And they say that the, uh, the text that the King James is, or, you know, translated from, the Greek text right here, the received text, it's, it's not as good and, and everything else. It's, it's based on newer manuscripts. Well, let me say it this way. Um, when was the last time you put together a Bible study from a 200-year-old King James Bible? What do you use when you do a Bible study? A more modern one? You know why? Because if a Bible is worth anything, it's going to wear out after a couple of years. So these Texas Receptus manuscripts, most of them are newer editions and things like that. Why? Because they were using them. Unlike the Catholic Church that does not use the Bible. They just, oh, here's the Vaticanus, and they just stick it over on a shelf someplace and, you know, or put it in a glass case or something enshrined in gold, you know, frame or something, and they come and they bow to it and pray to it or something like this. And by the way, over 99% of all extant Greek manuscripts, ones that are found, ones that have been looked at and collated and everything, over 99% line up with the Texas Receptus. Less than 1% line up with the Nestles. The changes made in the Nestles text. But he wasn't going to tell Jeff that. Because he's a liar. He's a lying snake. Look at this. Look at Jeff's reaction. Jeff was flabbergasted. This can't be. I have read all or I've read books that have assured me that the Greek text of the King James Bible is superior to all other Greek texts. Okay? Now let me ask you another question here. Let me just break in here. Why was Jeff flabbergasted? You know why? Very simple. Let me read a verse of scripture from the King James Bible. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Written scripture is what assures us of our salvation, not feelings. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Do you have God's holy word? For you new version people out there, can you hold up a book and say, this is God's perfect word, I'm not going to mess with it? Well, all translations have errors. Okay, then you can't be assured of your salvation. That's the whole issue here. That's why Jeff Dahmer was flabbergasted. That just, what? Because he realizes without a book, that's God's word, without the perfect standard of God's word, he really has no assurance if he's going to go to heaven when he dies. He's right back into the world of evolution. And Alexandrian textual criticism is evolutionary in its philosophy. Think about it. Every new translation that comes out, we're going to get better and better and better. 
not, hey, we came out with one in 1611, and the only changes that were made were some font changes and things like that, going from Gothic to Roman and, and some of the spelling changes and things, but it really hasn't changed that much since 1611. 1769 is when it was, okay, we got the text all fixed up and everything, done. Don't mess with it. Okay? You can read this book. I can read things written back. You know, I have a facsimile here, over here, right there, of one of a King James Bible in 1611. I can read the two together. Totally fine. Very, very few changes between the two. Again, printing changes and things and some spelling changes as the English language became, uh, you know, settled. I mean, English was still a new language in 1611. Again, a lot of people don't realize that. See? But this thing gives us an assurance of salvation. The new versions, they will tell you in the preface to the new versions. Again, watch some of my older videos. I show this. They will tell you in the preface that this translation is not perfect. And it's going to continually need to be revised and updated and revised and updated. Just insane. And again, let's look at the uh, little condescending attitude here from Ratcliffe. Page 96, I decided to move on. <laughs> it just makes me sick. Look, we're not going to settle this question here and now. We don't have the resources to get into this like we ought to. I propose that you use the King James Bible. Use what you prefer, you know. You obviously have a lot of confidence in it. I will continue to use my new international version. If there are disagreements, that I, and I doubt there will be many, we can compare them and decide as best uh, we can, from what we have studied, what is right. How does that sound? Again, as a new Christian, he's answering here. I guess that will be okay. He answered cautiously. And, you know, this is what he is reporting. This is what this guy right here is reporting. You know? I mean, for all we know, Dahmer could have told him off and said, you're a false prophet. You know, I don't even know if I want to talk to you again. But he just records this. And don't tell me for one minute that new version people don't lie. I've been around them. They will lie straight to your face. They're deceivers. Yeah, but again, you know, well, we'll have to study it. We'll look at it. We'll determine what's right. So it's man that gets to determine. Again, that is the main philosophy behind the new versions. It's not, thus saith the Lord, this is the standard, don't question it. Oh, no. Well, you see, actually, if you look at the Greek word here, there, you, another way of possible translation could be blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Continuing here, he says, Jeff, translation differences are usually over minor points. The main ideas and concepts of God are revealed in both translations. Liar. We'll gain by studying together. Okay, I see your point. That will just have to be the way it is. Let's continue on here. Next page, we have page 97. So I began. I appreciate your question, but I think given your circumstances, you need to be around Christians and all who claim to be Christians. Why would a saved man give this advice to a new Christian? More than anything else, he says here. So I suggest that you simply attend every chapel and church service you can attend that is Christian in nature. You tell a, a guy that's just saved, especially one is in a fragile spiritual condition like Jeff Dahmer would have been. Oh, as long as they profess to be Christians, just go be, you know, join yourself to them. Are you kidding me? Look what Jeff says in response. I can't believe you said that, he exclaimed. 
My father is real involved in the Church of Christ, and I know how much worshiping without instruments means to him. How can you say I should worship with every Christian group? Again, Dahmer's making the mistake of being a new Christian, and he looks and he goes, Church of Christ, I think, is the one. But he, he has enough discernment from the Lord to say, how can you say that to me? You're supposed to be a pastor, and you're telling me to go in with a worship with a bunch of wolves in sheep's clothing? These people are wrong in their doctrine and stuff like this. What are you telling me to go in there and be part of them? See, a, a false convert is not going to have that discernment from the Lord. That's why I'm saying, after reviewing all the evidence, I believe Jeff Dahmer was saved. Yeah, he made some mistakes as a new Christian. All new Christians do, you know. But I believe he was a saved man after he went to jail and his conversion there. Continuing here, page 99. The question about the Bible translation would return a few times. <laughs> Jeff wanted to do the right thing. He had been on the wrong path long enough, and now he wanted to go where God was. Is this what a false convert would do? No. A false convert would uh, give in and say, well, I guess it is. the NIV is okay. I guess, you know, I guess I shouldn't make a big deal. It's divisive, and it's this, and it's that. Uh-uh. Jeff wouldn't let the Bible translation issue go. He believed that King James Bible, and he said, that's the book right there. Why? Because he was genuinely converted. That's such a weird thing when you think about it. How many people are going to get up there to heaven? And I think this is one of the reasons why God saved Jeff Dahmer. Get up there to heaven, and here comes the Pope. Pope Pius Twelfth here... The Lord says, depart from me, cursed and everlasting fire. The Pope says, what, huh, what, what? I didn't make it? The Lord says, yeah, actually, I, I have a, a young man here. Uh, Jeff, step forward. Of course, Pius XII would have been dead before Dahmer was even born, but just bear with the analogy here. Uh, Jeff, step forward. Jeff Dahmer steps forward. Hi, you know, <laughs> it's going to be like, this is Jeff Dahmer here, Pope. And um, he was a sodomite cannibal and... Uh, a murderer, and um, he came to me, and I exchanged my perfect, sinless life for his wicked, vile life. It's called imputed righteousness, something the popes know nothing about. And he switches, and he says, okay, Jeff, you're saved, you're in. And self-righteous pope goes to hell. And I believe this guy here, too. I believe his you know, plan of salvation, the baptism thing, is false, the fact that he's against the King James Bible, clearly against it, using the old Alexandrian party line that uh, is spewed by the Vatican. Not saved. Not saved. What a weird thing. Get up there to heaven, there's Dahmer in, and this guy's out. Irony. <laughs> Let's continue. Page 103. During each visit, he brought up another question that bothered him. Again, he's continuing to question things. He wants to know the Word of God. Uh, it says here, As I've mentioned, when a person in prison finds God, most of what they expect about God is expressed in terms of rule-keeping. They have been blatant rule-breakers, so their change to an opposite kind of life means they see, see God as the ultimate rule-keeper. He is. The judge of all the earth. The concept is rather simple. Leaving one kind of life for another means a big turnabout. It does. Hence keeping the rules instead of breaking them. Now look at this. This is what this Radcliffe guy says. 
Of course, this approach to faith is very legalistic in nature, and I am uncomfortable with a legalistic faith. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know, again, lost people, learn the standard operating procedure for lost people. Don't judge me when you bring up sins. Who are you to judge me? Are you perfect? Don't judge me. The Bible says, you know, judge not that you be not judged. You know, they'll do that. And then if that fails, they'll also say, you're legalistic. You know, meaning that you have standards that are in Scripture and you live by those standards. You know, and they'll try to say, well, you're adding that stuff to faith. Oh, uh, no. You know, faith is you come to Jesus or come to God and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know, and call upon his name to be saved. You know, the repentance and things that lead you to that. That's salvation. But when you get saved, there's going to be things that God tells you to do after that. You don't have to do those things to keep yourself saved. You do them because you have been saved in the past and now you're living for the Lord. And the Holy Spirit has moved in and is telling you what to do. That's the whole point. Page 110. What do you have to say about all this, I asked. You know, there are times I have longed for death, he confessed. I really don't want to go on living at times. But this experience has made me appreciate the life I now have. Some guy tried to kill uh, Dahmer in the chapel. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, just i got to just say that real quick here. Um, you know, here's talking about it here. You know, oh. Uh, just got to say this. Dahmer takes the guy's advice and goes to the prison chapel meeting thing. And some Cuban guy tries to slit his throat by putting a razor blade, sticking it into a toothbrush and taping it on there, trying to cut his throat. So against his better judgment, Dahmer goes, I'm not going down there and being part of that. You know, why would you say that? I'm not going to go down and be with these people that profess to be Christians. But goes against it based on the advice of this hireling here. And he ends up going to the prison or going to the chapel and the guy tries to kill him in the chapel, you know. But look at the reaction of Dahmer again here. Uh, this experience has made me appreciate the life I now have. I am so grateful to God that I have been spared. I praise God that I am alive. You are happy you were not hurt, I asked. Definitely, he responded. There is so much I want to do for God here in prison. So many people I want to share the gospel with. I want to talk to my mother about my faith I can't imagine God taking these opportunities away from me now. I am so thankful that I survived. For to me to live is Christ, but die is gain. Again, showing another aspect of a, of a Christian that follows the ministry of Paul. Paul's going, oh, I just wish I could die. You know, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. <laughs> you know, nevertheless, it's more needful that I abide here with you. I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, but Dahmer saying the same thing. That's why I believe he was saved. Genuinely born again. Here we have page 117. Jeff is very dedicated at the moment. He has even put study pamphlets in the prison chapel for other inmates to see. He's tracting. He's tracting. I mean, come on. Lionel didn't have to convince me of this, the importance of developing Jeff's faith. In my visits with him, I had seen Jeff's desire to spread the word among other inmates. Isn't that something? Again, I, you know, new Christians. It's just like all of a sudden you get saved, the Lord saves you, and you know, the Holy Spirit comes in and you go, 
okay, I got like a lot of questions about the Bible. I just, you can't put the Bible down. You're going, I got all these, oh, I just, I want to know about this. And I want to know about that. And you make a dumb mistake and you go, oh, I can't believe I fell for that. That, But what's the truth? Oh, yeah, okay, I got that. That makes sense. And then it's just like, I got to do something to get the gospel out. All these other people, they don't, they're not saved. Man, I got to tell my mother. And I got to tell my, my friends and my family. Oh, man, you know. These, these are not the things that happen when somebody's a false convert. That's what I'm saying. Page 120. I thought this was funny too. Another thing about the Bible version issue. Sometimes when Jeff gets a thought in his mind, it is very difficult to get it corrected or changed. Yeah, I'm sure. I wanted Lionel, this is Jeff Dahmer's father, um, to know that I had worked enough with Jeff to understand some of his quirks, particularly his ability to set his mind on something and not let go. I had seen this in some of our discussions regarding the Bible translations and other issues. Once he had his mind made up, he didn't like to change it. Amen. He is very much like a sponge trying to absorb as much as he possibly can. He wants to get his life right in every detail. Don't tell me that that's some guy just making a false profession of faith so he can get out of prison earlier. Dahmer knew he wasn't going to get out of prison. What's all this stuff about a changed life and everything? Oh, he wouldn't change on the King James Bible issue. You won't either if you're saved. I mean, you, you think you're going to take this book out of my hands? This book is what I'm holding on to for my faith. This book is everything to me. You think you're going to come along and convince me that it's, well, it has, does have some translation errors and it's really not God's Word. You're out of your mind. You're crazy. I live in this book. I read this book and it shocks me sometimes, and it will you too if you're saved. It'll shock you sometimes how accurate this book is to what's going on in your life. And you'll feel the Holy Spirit showing you things and teaching you things from this book. And you'll go, I wonder if the Bible teaches that. And then you'll turn on this ministry or on some other ministry and the guy, the preacher will say it exactly as what was in your mind. And you go, wow, whoa, I can't believe that. I've had brand new Christians come up to me and they say, hey, Brother Brian, did you ever think of the verse being said this way or that way? And they'll say some advanced thing in the scriptures and I go, yeah, it's exactly what the Bible... Who told you that? I don't know. The thought just came to me the other day. The Holy Spirit. And some wicked devil comes along and they say, actually, let me speak down to you a little bit here. The King James Bible, I, I appreciate the fact that you use it. I really do. And I, 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 you know, that's nice. But it's not God's perfect word. And you look at that and you go, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. You're not going to push me off of this, you know, Bible-believing stand. But let's continue. Page 126. What Jeff didn't understand was that Revelation, as well as Hebrews, is not so much about the end of the world as it is about faith. <laughs> That's what this Radcliffe guy says. Its theme and purpose is to encourage people to hang on to their faith no matter what happens or how dire their circumstances seem. What? <laughs> huh? You know? Oh, the, the book of Revelation is not so much about the end of the world. What's it about? A walk in the park? You know? 
These are not the words of a Christian. These are the words of somebody who, who makes a living preaching the Bible. Right there. Page 128. Yeah, I'm trying to make an arrangement with the publishing house to ship her some of the materials my dad has sent me, he continued. What sort of materials, I asked. Oh, about the creation of the world and how evolution is untrue. He's talking about his mother here because their parents had, you know, his parents had been divorced. Um, that, look at this, creation of the world and how evolution is untrue. That's where I got my faith in God from those materials. And I just know if she would look at them, she could get her faith back too, he explained. He got his faith in the Lord from the creation science materials. And again, I saw this cheap little opportunist, uh, Rudy Davis, uh, here on YouTube. And he's, you know, buddy-buddy with Ken Hovind. Read, read Ken Hovind's whole affidavit. Read the part where Ken Hovind came out and said that he's ecumenical. And everything, the purpose of creation science evangelism is ecumenical in nature. You know, he took a vow of poverty, just like Catholic priests do. And, um, you know, Rudy Davis, and he came out and he has got this video on YouTube, you know, Ken Hovind's materials led Jeff Dahmer to the Lord. No, they didn't. Institute for Creation Research. It wasn't Hovind. Whatever. Page 137. I wanted to pass on to Lionel something Jeff had told me about his faith. Jeff told me that his journey of faith began with some material you had sent him. He said he did not believe in God until he went through those materials. He credits you with giving him his Christian faith, I told him. So again, it was not, you know, I would say Jeff Dahmer was a total false convert if this is the guy right here that uh, led him to the Lord. All right. Um, if Jeff Dahmer was trusting in some Church of Christ baptism to get him saved, I'd say, nope, sorry. I don't care what profession he has. He's, it's false. It's not genuine conversion. But uh, he got it from Creation Science Materials, Institute for Creation Research. So, I do believe Jeff was a saved man. 147. But we come to focus not on the crimes he committed, but on the faith that changed his life. I know Jeff believed in God and trusted in Christ to save him. I baptized him, studied with him, and got to know his heart. He was truly sorry for the things he had done. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Page 150. He was ready to die. I was the one who was unprepared. It's kind of funny. I think he's actually speaking prophetically about himself. Right there. Dahmer is, was ready to die. He saved. And this guy right here is the one who's unprepared. He's church, trusting in his Church of Christ membership. Roy Ratcliffe, if he's out there, I don't think he's going to be watching this, but if he does, you're not saved. I can tell you that. If you don't believe the King James Bible, this is the record. This is the word that you're supposed to receive that will save your soul. You think that you can be saved without believing this book? You say, well, then people have to have the King James Bible in order to be saved. I didn't say that. You can understand what Jesus Christ did and you can get saved, but the Lord's going to lead you to that book right there. The Lord is not going to lead you to use a new version for your whole life. Not going to happen. So, let's see if there's anything else in here. I think we're pretty much done.
again, just read this part here, um, page 170. I would show him my Bible, his NIV. He could read right out of my Bible and I could read out of his. Um, I explained I could point out different things from our different translations. So again, you have this guy, um, this Ratcliffe guy, and he's trying to destroy Jeff Dahmer's belief, his faith in this King James Bible. And Dahmer wouldn't back down for one minute. That's not what lost people do, brethren. So at the end of this matter, what is the conclusion of the whole matter? There's probably people that skip to this part here, so. <laughs> Hi, welcome back, you know. Um, but uh, what's the conclusion of the whole matter? Um, could Jeff Dahmer have been saved? Well, that depends on if he qualified for salvation. What's the qualification for salvation? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The old hymn says, The vilest offender who truly believes That moment from Jesus a pardon receives. You believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you say, God, please save me. Come to him in an act of faith because of your belief that his death, burial, and resurrection, the blood that he shed on the cross, can pay for your sins. And when you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves in. And you'll get that unquenchable desire for questions to be answered. And that desire to witness to other people. And the desire to confess Jesus Christ publicly and openly. Your life will change. It will change drastically. Jeff Dahmer had that changed life after his conversion. And those people out there that say, well, if he's going to be in heaven, I don't want to be there. They're speaking truth. They don't even realize it, but they're speaking the truth. Jeff Dahmer is in heaven. I feel confident enough to, after looking at the whole case, I feel confident enough to say that, yeah, he's in heaven. In spite of the fact that uh, a minister of Satan right there, Alexandrian cult member t preaching a false gospel tried to sidetrack him and Dahmer didn't listen. He wasn't counting on his baptism. He said it was the creation science materials that gave me my faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. How interesting. And how condemning to people that trust in themselves to be saved. So a very interesting study. I've been wanting to put something together on this thing of uh, Jeff Dahmer for a long time because it illustrates, it's the absolute perfect illustration of self-righteous people versus sinners. Sinners with Jesus Christ's imputed righteousness where Jesus Christ says, I'll take your sinful life and pay for it on the cross. But, you know, Lord, I have some good stuff I can add to that. Jesus says, I'm not interested in your good works and your good life and the fact that you're not a bad person. He didn't die for you if you're a good person. He died for sinners. Are you worse than Jeff Dahmer out there? Well, if you are, Jesus died for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what horrible things you've committed or thought or, or whatever else, he died for sinners. But you find this repugnant. How could you say that a man that's so sick and disgusting? I, I can't stand the thought of, of Jeff Dahmer being in heaven. Then go to hell. 
So what'd you say? I said, go to hell. Go to hell and burn. That's where good people go. Righteous, church-going people. They go to hell. But those of us that have come to the end of ourselves and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Boy, I sure don't deserve heaven. But if you'll save me, Lord, if you'll save me, my life is yours. Please, God, save me. You do that, He'll save you. Please do it today. So, that's going to be it for this study. Um, just an incredible, incredible story when you think of how God can save someone even as wicked as Jeff Dahmer. So, if you're not saved, I mean, if you're an atheist out there and stuff, I make fun of you and things like that because I'm trying to break through that, that wall of self-righteous pride. That's why I make fun of people. I don't hate anybody. I really honestly don't hate anybody. But I realize that so many people just put up the shield of self-righteousness and they say, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. I'm not like Jeff Dahmer. I'm not like Jeff Dahmer. Well, you should be. Because then maybe your self-righteous pride could be broken and you could come to the Lord as a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't get to heaven on my own. I need Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, without this book telling me about Jesus Christ and telling me what He did on the cross, I'm never going to make it. Time is running out. Time is running out. Again, understanding, you're not going to understand this as a lost person, but let me just explain something to you that hopefully you can get at least the concept of this. There are different dispensations in this King James Bible. Each one ends in things falling apart, and then a major event happens and brings in the next one. The last one that happened is you had the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets are until John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of heaven is preached, and every man presseth into it. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God were preached. Two kingdoms, physical and spiritual kingdom. Why? Because Jesus Christ the King was on the earth, physically on the earth. The fullness of the Godhead was right there bodily. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one body, walking around on the earth. God was manifest in the flesh. Major event happened. He dies on the cross. Boom, brings in the church age. The church age lasts for nearly 2,000 years, ends in apostasy. Why? Because God is refining things. He's making the distinction that much stronger. So you have people that are saved. Those that have truly been born again, there's a changed life. Like we just read about right here in this book. Jeff Dahmer had a changed life. I've had a changed life. You've had a changed life if you're saved. You say, well, I haven't really experienced many changes and things like that. I, I don't think it's a problem to use the new versions. And I don't really see a problem with it. Mm -hmm. You're not saved. You're not saved. Get saved. Get it figured out quickly. And if you're an atheist, you look at this whole mess that is professing Christianity, it is a mess. It's a total mess. But you can break your pride, you see, and say, okay, God, if you're real, show me that you're real. This book is about revelation, spiritual revelation. God will show you things. You say, well, I, got, I think i got time. You have very little time left. This dispensation that is many call the church age is about to end.
we're right at the be at, right at the end of it. Excuse me, not the beginning, right at the end of it. We're almost through, and the body of Christ is going to be leaving. A moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going up, and all of a sudden, you're going to see who the hypocrite Christians were. You're going to see the uh, the fakes. They use the new versions. The fakes that believe baptism saves or that believe there is no repentance associated with salvation or all the other fake things. There's no prayer needed. All this other stuff. All of a sudden you're going to see those fakes. They're going to be right here on the earth. And those of us who are truly saved are gone. And then you're going to realize you missed your opportunity. Why don't you get saved now? Why don't you come to Jesus Christ and get saved today? Drop your pride. You might not be as bad as Jeff Dahmer, but you've done things. You know that you have. And you're scared about having people find out. Let me tell you something. The Bible says there's going to come a day when your secrets are going to be judged by Jesus Christ in front of all the host of heaven. Everything you've ever done it's going to come out. Share one more verse of scripture here with you before we close. Something that you need to think about. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. The only way to have your sins, your thoughts, your wickedness, Hidden is to get under the blood of Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking. Okay? The only way is for you to get saved. And then your sins are washed away. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Not at baptism, but when you get saved. You can say spiritual baptism, you know, say it that way. But not going and getting dunked under the water and brought back up. If you're a false convert, Church of Christ, all that's going to do is just make you wet. Okay, that's not going to wash your sins away. Your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that washes your sins away. That blood that he shed, your sins are washed away. You're made clean. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus at salvation. You better do it soon. That is going to be it. Thank you very much for watching. Jeffrey Dahmer kept many secrets even before he killed his first victim. While it's not unusual for teenagers to keep some things from their parents, Dahmer's father was tormented by the idea that perhaps he had missed a key sign of what was to come and the chance to stop him. But Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't sure he would have revealed anything and was angered by the way some people had blamed his parents. Did you ever consider talking to your parents, to your dad, about homosexuality is that something no, that you felt you could ever raise early on I, I really didn't know that much about it myself uh, all I knew was that it was something that uh, was to be kept hush hush not uh, talked about not even thought about so I just uh, kept it all within me and never never talked about sexual issues at all really with anybody 
Do you think if you had been able to talk about that in a more open way with your dad, for instance, that it would have helped, might have broken this veil of secrecy and enabled you to keep yourself from going down that road? Uh, I don't know exactly what, if anything, would have ke ever kept me from going down that road. Talking about it, I don't think, would have made that much difference. Because, like I said, there were things going on in my head that uh, I would have never opened up and talked about with anybody. Your dad says he never realized how deeply troubled you were because he just thought you were shy the way he had been, shy as a boy. Do you think the signs were there and he just missed them? No, I don't think so. Because uh, I had thoughts, I had fantasies, but there was, there was no outward show of, of anything that was wrong. You were pretty good at keeping it all inside. Right, I kept it inside, didn't share any of my uh, thoughts or emotions with anybody. So uh, how would I ever know? No, you, you never saw any of it, as far as I know. I did not really hear from anyone about any of these activities. And that, that's what really strikes me now, is if I would, if I would have known, what would I have done about it? I think I, I would have done a lot about it. I feel it's uh, wrong for people who commit crimes to try to shift the blame onto somebody else, onto their parents or onto their, their upbringing or, circ or living circumstances. I, I think that's just a, a cop-out. And uh, my parents, my relatives, had no knowledge of what I was doing. They're absolutely not responsible for any of it in any way. And uh, I take full responsibility. But you, but you understand that what you did would lead your father to ask himself all kinds of questions. That's true. Where, where I did I go that. wrong? Was there something I could have said or done to have prevented this? Right. Did I, in some way, create or contribute to the terrible acts my son committed. I understand that. I, I just get uh, angry with other people who, who think that uh, they have a right to, uh, to somehow try to blame my parents for what happened. That's not right at all. No one has the right to do that because they're totally innocent. They had no knowledge of it. And uh, that angers me. But parents just naturally, I mean, any parent that really cares, they just first of all say, I, gee, I feel guilty. You know, I, there's just feelings of guilt. What happened? What did I do? What could I have done? And so that's a normal parental reaction. Your dad has wondered about all kinds of things, from the medication that your mom was on during her pregnancy to the fact that you were exposed to violent arguments in the home from an early age and continuing to the possibility that he might have passed on some genetic propensity for obsession or violent behavior. Does any of that ring true to you? I can see why he'd wonder about those things, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're all excuses because I didn't feel accountable to anybody. I didn't feel that I had to, to uh, face what I had done ever. And uh, so you, you have, there comes a point where a person has to has to be accountable for what he's done. Can't go, can't go around making excuses, uh, blaming other people or other things. So I, I alone am the one who's responsible for what's happened. Let me ask, when did you first feel that, that 
everyone is accountable for their actions. Well, thanks to you for, for sending uh, that uh, creation science uh, material because I always, I always believe the, uh, the lie that uh, evolution is truth, the theory of evolution is truth, that we all just came from uh, the slime and uh, when, we, when we died, you know, that was it. There was nothing. So uh, the whole theory cheapens life and uh, started reading books about how that show how evolution is, is just a complete lie. There's, there's, no, there's no basis in science to, uh, to uphold it. And I've come to, since come to believe that, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true creator of uh, the heavens and the earth. It just didn't just happen. And uh, I have accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that I, as, long, as well as everyone else, will be accountable to him. Growing up, did you feel that you were accountable to your dad or to your mom as the authority yes, figure in the house? Yes, I did. I mean, they, they didn't let me uh, run wild. They, were, they disciplined me. And uh, so I felt accountable to them. But afterwards, after I left the home, that's, that's when I uh, started wanting to uh, sort of create my own little world where I could be the one who had the complete control, where I didn't have to uh, bow to anyone else's demands, and uh, I just took it way too far. Lionel? At that period of time, I had drifted away from a belief in a supreme being, and I never, as a result, passed along the feeling that we are all accountable in the end. He owns us. And that basic concept is very fundamental to all of us. You feel that the absence, at least for a while, of a strong religious faith and yes, belief for some years may have prevented you from instilling some of that in Jeff. That's right. Is that how you feel? Yes, I think I had a big, uh, big part to do, to do with it. I mean, uh, if you don't, if a person doesn't think that there there is a God to be accountable to, then then what's what's the point of of trying to uh, modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? Uh, that's how I thought anyway, and uh, I've since come to believe that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is truly God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the only true God. This week on EIE Radio, I interviewed the author of Dark Journey, Deep Grace, and the man who baptized the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. What an incredible story this is. Welcome to EIE Radio. Encouraging, inspiring, and equipping Christians to stand for truth and reach the lost. Now, here's your host, Neil Hess. All right, welcome to this week's edition of EIE Radio, and I have on the line Roy Ratcliffe, the author of Dark Journey, Deep Grace. It's a story behind a serial killer's journey to faith, the infamous Jeffrey Dahmer. So, Roy, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the air to me with me today. Well, I'm glad I could be here. Yeah, so uh, if you could, obviously you don't want to give away the whole thing, but uh, just maybe tell us a little bit about the book. 
All right. Well, the book is a retelling of what happened, my experience with the, the, the getting the call about Jeffrey Dahmer wanting, wanting to be baptized, and then my reaction to it in response to it, and then pretty much tracing it as it goes through uh, the course of events that occur in the next uh, approximately seven months until the time he was murdered, and then it carries a little beyond that uh, to the memorial service and uh, some of the basic lessons that we've learned uh, that I learned from the from the experience as well. So that kind of gives you a brief uh, overview of uh, what the book is about. Okay. And when, just in your own life, when did you first hear about Jeffrey Dahmer and, and like, what was your reaction when you heard about the, the nature and the magnitude of his crimes? Well, he was caught, I think, in 1991, and, and so it was all over the news. And I remember thinking, wow, that's really strange. It's really bizarre. And, and then later on, they came back with the cannibalism. Well, that, that's even worse. That's just terrible. Uh, I didn't really watch the... Uh, um, the the uh, the trial uh, I wasn't interested in that although I guess everyone in Milwaukee got a, a full dosage of that uh, I I didn't pay much attention to it other than I just you know clicked it away oh well there, there's a there's a terrible person that that did these terrible things and it wasn't until I got the phone call in 1994 that an inmate wanted to be baptized and I said sure I'll I've never been to a prison before but I'll I'll do what I can he says well uh, who's what's the person's name he says well you better sit down for this one. And uh, the name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, uh, that was a big surprise. Uh, and the first question in my mind was, what? Uh, why does he want to be baptized? What does he know about baptism? What are his expectations? Uh, what kind of background is he coming from? All these are things I just didn't know at all. Uh, and so then I ended up calling the uh, the chaplain to try to uh, confirm that this was uh, the desire and then to try to set up the, the date when I can come visit him. And uh, because he was such an infamous person, uh, they don't just you know rubber stamp these things through the... They go. They've got to check, you know, who I am and where I'm from, and and make sure I've got nothing in my past and all this sort of business here. So it took about three weeks before they finally got around and saying, okay, you can come see him then. And so uh, that was uh, that was how the whole thing really got started for me right there. It was was there. So so uh, I was mostly reacting to or responding to a request for baptism, and uh, the fact that he was uh, his story was out there in the open. Uh, was very amazing and very intriguing, but I, I didn't understand why he was wanting to be baptized until I got to actually meet him and see him and, and talk with him. So when you when you were, were approached the idea of coming to baptize him and everything, were you were you, I guess scared or fearful at all? Both from like I mean a standpoint of just meeting this man, but also I guess from the reaction from your peers. Well, naturally, I was I was nervous about the whole thing. I I didn't know what to expect or what was going on and. And of course, when I, I'd never been to a prison before, so I didn't know what, quite what to expect either. I'd seen television shows, and so I was anticipating uh, him being behind a glass wall and talking to him on a tel- on a on a uh, telephone, or perhaps sitting, uh, you know, look talk to him through a television screen or something of that nature. Uh, what I was not prepared for was the fact that I was just escorted to a little room. Uh, about the uh, twelve by uh, uh, ten by twelve room with tables and chairs and. Uh, and then uh, he came in, and they closed the door, and it was just him and me together in this little room uh, is all there was, and, and just face-to-face. And so I, I was really quite surprised about that, that they would allow that. But I guess that was kind of standard procedure for anyone visiting a, uh, an inmate. And I was a little bit nervous when I was closed in the room with him uh, there. But uh, uh, from what he told me later on, he was even more nervous to meet me than I was about meeting him. <laughs> and what was your first impression of him when you, he did finally enter the room? Well, uh, he looked like what I'd seen on television. It was obviously him. 
uh, my uh, uh, impression is that when I first shook his hands, I noticed that his hands I thought were very small. I, I don't have incredibly large hands, but his hands were smaller than mine. And I remember thinking, wow, those are the hands of, of a killer, you know, uh, and yet uh, they were kind of boyish, I, I would say. I was kind of surprised about that. He was very courteous and, and uh, 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 very uh, uh, respectful of me. So uh, that was kind of allayed a little bit of the things about uh, a little bit of the fears that I had uh, uh, in meeting him. Um, he was uh, you know, pretty much about six foot uh, tall, something like that, I think, and blue eyes and blonde hair. So he's you know, kind of a, a classic-looking uh, uh, young guy. Uh, and uh, uh, but he uh, that was his face that I'd seen before. So that was pretty much my, my initial reaction was, oh. Uh, uh, you know, here he is. So let's see, let's see what's going on here. And and, and most of my uh, uh, misgivings were, were set aside by simply asking him the question. So, you want to be baptized? Tell me why you want to be baptized. And, and we got to focusing on what we were there for. And I didn't even have to worry then about uh, what I felt or what I thought or what I uh, imagined. Okay. And so now, and you you did end up baptizing him. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, the. Uh, he uh, convinced me in a fairly short time that he'd studied a lot of the scriptures and understood what baptism was all about. I asked him what his, uh, if he had any religious background, and to my surprise, his background was the same as mine. He, uh, his parents had attended the Church of Christ, just as I had, and had said that uh, uh, they went to church regularly until he was about four or five, and then they quit going altogether. And he, didn't, he never understood why they quit going to church. And I remember thinking, wow, uh, would it have made a difference had his folks just not quit going to church? Uh, would it have uh, changed anything in his life? I, 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 of course, the answer is I, is I don't know, but I can't help but wonder if he'd gone through the kind of experiences most kids go through going, growing up in church, you know, going to Bible class every Sunday and vacation Bible school in the summertime and maybe even a Bible camp during the summertime, you know, th- that kind of stuff. Would that have made a difference in his life? And I didn't know. I had to kind of wonder about that myself. Okay, and so how... You met with him over the course of seven months, at least as far as memory serves. How did your relationship with him grow, and how did you see him grow, particularly in his Christian faith? I saw him grow uh, quite a bit. Uh, it uh, as we continued to talk, uh, we, we first of all I agreed to baptize him, and then the baptism took took place about uh, another uh, three weeks away before they finally got everything uh, squared away squared away. And then the, the issue I made was I wanted to visit him on a regular basis, so they gave me a, a permanent pastoral pass, which was every Wednesday I got to come see him for an hour. And uh, so we met and talked, and pretty much we started off by uh, just dealing with the things that he had questions about. You know, uh, uh, I, I thought we'd spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. He wanted to talk about the uh, little uh, issues that he thought were, were church law, you know, uh, which translation of the Bible should I use, and uh, how do I uh, have communion every week, because in the Church of Christ we have communion every week, and what do I do about the fact that they play instrumental music uh, in their chapel when I go to chapel, is that, is that, is that important? You know, those kinds of questions like that. And so we would spend time uh, dealing with each of those questions as as we moved on, and I was trying to show him that you, you can be a Christian in this context no matter what uh, others throw at you, you you've got to stand for Christ and, and, and be what you can be, and just be honest with yourself. And so, as we continued doing that, and, and uh, we begin talking and opening up uh, to one another, uh, I think I've, I developed a sense of friendship with him. I think he felt a sense of friendship with me. 
at least I, I believe that because on the last day that I saw him, which was the day before Thanksgiving in 1994, he gave me a Thanksgiving Day card and underlined in special places here and there about how much he appreciated me and how much he was grateful that I kept coming to him and didn't give up on him and so forth. And that, and that he considered me his friend as well, too. So I think I think we saw each other as, as friends. Um, some people find that kind of strange, but that's because they're not really, they weren't there. They didn't have a chance to see him and talk to him and look into his eyes and hear his heart pour out and, and talk about the things that bothered him and so forth. So uh, I, I grew to develop a, a, a keen admiration and respect for him because I think he was really trying to uh, do the right thing. His biggest concern was, was uh, doing things right because he'd done so many things wrong. Okay. And so how did people react like because it, it during your book I, when i read through the book you you came out and you said that you believe he is saved at this point it's your best estimate that he is saved and in heaven right now is that correct yes mm-hmm. just okay. as much as anyone who is a christian and who dies would be and now i i can imagine when when you said that to people people were really taken aback by that and i was wondering if you could share maybe some of their reactions and how you would respond to that uh, most people were respectful of me, and so they just pretty much took me at my word. Uh, I would hear uh, things afterward uh, about the same people who had talked to me and had been very respectful that they had, you know, expressed doubts and so forth and, and so forth. And so I didn't. Uh, I, I grew to wonder about what what I was getting, what was coming at me. But generally, when people have a problem with it, like uh, uh, I know we picked someone up one time. Uh, uh, to, uh, for benevolence, and, and uh, someone had mentioned something about Jeffrey Dahmer. I mentioned that I had baptized him. Well, they couldn't believe it. Well, I was there, and I, I baptized him. And they, 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 most of them have trouble with, first of all, the question of his sincerity. Was he genuine? Was he sincere about the whole thing? As if they're hoping that he by not being sincere, that somehow the whole thing was invalidated. No, as far as I knew, he was as sincere as anybody was. Uh, he was genuinely trying to, to live the Christian life in the context of being in prison, which you have to, have to imagine is a very fairly difficult thing to do uh, anyway. And so usually uh, I, I deal with people like that. Is if they have a hard time dealing with it, I would ask, you know, well, uh, some of them will, will make the point, well, I don't know if his sins can be forgiven because his sins are so bad. And I would say, well, what part of the blood of Christ was anemic when it came to Jeffrey Dahmer, but is fully, you know, working for you? I mean, what difference? Me and the blood of Christ can save you, then it can save him as well too. And if it's too anemic to save him, then there's something missing with you and me as well too. And that usually kind of shut them up and, and help them to maybe come to terms a little bit more with with the. Uh, uh, seeing the, the issue. One, one person said to me, you know, this story kind of stretches the concept of grace. And uh, at first I, I, I kind of agreed, and then later on I came back and said, no, it doesn't stretch the concept of grace at all. If, if it stretches your concept, then your concept needs to be stretched because it fits very, <laughs> quick, very, very easily into what grace is really all about. Yeah, I'd agree. And that's, that's the one thing I, I just, after reading this book, just the sense of how incredible and how deep and how wide i know i think it sounds like a song in fact i think there is a a song but you know how deep and wide is the grace of god and it really solidified that for me and you know looking back in my own life like you know hey i'd done some bad stuff too you know and you know jeffrey Dahmer. all of us have done awful things but it really just shows us that it doesn't matter how far down the wrong path you are there's always a chance while you're alive to repent and go back on the right path uh, yeah, I've often told people when they ask me, "Why did you write your book?" Well, it wasn't more than it was more than just to uh, tell the story. It was also to convey the message that uh, 
even though none of us have done anything quite as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer did in terms of, of spectacular badness and so forth, yet there are times when each one of us feels just as bad about ourselves as he felt about himself. He felt very bad about what he had done, too. And the point of the book is that God can reach you even in those depths, even at the times when you feel really the worst, when you, you think of yourself as the scum of the earth. God's grace can reach you in that hole and pull you up, just because, just like he did Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm-hmm. And how was the reaction, like, at the at the jail and uh, with you and, and your peers when the news of his murder came out? Well, I was, uh, uh, first of all, I was I was shocked and had a hard time uh, uh, comprehending it, but then I started getting all kinds of phone calls uh, from the media because they wanted to see what I thought about the whole thing, and so I didn't have much of an opportunity to really grieve privately. Uh, I was I was put pretty much before the uh, the public uh, right away. Um, the the prison was uh, embarrassed because they had there had been an earlier attempt on his life in July where someone had tried to uh, cut his throat, and I was uh, called in by the chaplain and assured uh, repeatedly that. Uh, this would never happen again, that Jeff was going to have special you know, people watching him and so forth. So when uh, this happens and he's abandoned by the, the two officers that are there and left alone and the one guy attacks him and, and attacks another fellow as well too, uh, I felt a bit betrayed myself. I was quite angry at the, the prison uh, system myself because I felt like they had kind of let me down or they had not kept their word anyway. And I think there was a sense of embarrassment on the part of the prison that is there. And I've seen that since then that they kind of feel a sense of embarrassment that this had happened uh, before them. As far as the congregation was concerned, uh, I was asked to uh, by uh, Lionel Dahmer to do a memorial service and to invite just a few members of the congregation. And those whom I invited felt very honored to be there to, to be at the memorial service uh, for Jeff. So as far as the congregation was concerned, I think most of them kind of uh, identified with what I was going through and identified as much as they could with what was going on. Uh, and I think they were or they were uh, somewhat proud that I I was able to deal with it the way I did. Uh, but I don't I never got a sense of them being ashamed uh, of me at all. Now there might have been some some that I heard later on that might have felt a sense of shame, but I never never heard it myself per- personally. Okay. And are you aware of of any I guess interactions that Jeff had had with other inmates as far as him maybe possibly witnessing with other inmates or doing a Bible study with other inmates or anything like that? I know that he wanted to. I know that he intended to. He's, at, he's always asking for tracts or things that he could hand out to other inmates and so forth. I don't really know what kind of relationship he had. I had been contacted a year after his death by an inmate who uh, said that he helped Jeff write some of the letters he wrote to some of the young ladies that, that came to him and that uh, they had kind of worked together uh, in that sense there, uh, looking, try, trying to figure out how to how to respond and so forth, but I don't know that I, I ever met any other inmate who had uh, studied the Bible with Jeff or knew Jeff in that in that sort of way, so I don't really know uh, what he was able to do in prison. Okay, and if there's, I guess, just one thing that you would want someone to take away from your experience with Jeffrey Dahmer uh, or your book, Dark Journey, Deep Grace, what what would that be? Well, that no matter how bad you feel about yourself, and all of us do feel as bad about ourselves as he felt about himself, uh, on one occasion, uh, after he'd been baptized and we'd been studying together, he asked me a question, and I often tell the story to illustrate how sincere he was. He said, I feel like I should have been put to death for the, the crimes that I committed. And I said, well, you probably should have been. In most states, you probably would have been. But here in Wisconsin, uh, there's no death penalty, so uh, you weren't put to death. And he said, well, if that's the case, then uh, am, uh, by, am I sinning against God by living? You know, which implies maybe I should 
should find a way to put myself to death or, or take my own life or have someone kill me or something like that. And, and well, uh, that was an interesting question, uh, that you would even consider uh, that question. Uh, but we, we studied a little bit later, uh, first, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 13, about the Christian's re- relationship to the government and how the government serves God as an agent of, of wrath and so forth, and that here in Wisconsin they took the sword that they were given and laid it down and took up a rod instead, so you have to just submit. And what we need to do is, is live the best of our lives as, as best we can from that point on. Uh, and so I know he felt terribly terrible about what he had done, and there was nothing you do about it. And all of us, I think, at times, embrace a bad commentary about ourselves. We, you know, we end up believing what others have said, or we end up believing ourselves that uh, we are no good, we're rotten, we're lousy, uh, we never should have been born. Those kinds of uh, messages. And we, we ignore or we forget the divine commentary that once we believe on Jesus Christ, we become a son of God and that we are just as beloved by God as any of his sons were. Uh, he doesn't have any favoritism at all between any of his children. And that uh, uh, and I think, I hope in the book, anyway, that I'm able to kind of convey the idea that God can reach you no matter where you are, and God can elevate you and give you the sense of credited righteousness that says, you are my son and you are okay with as far as I'm concerned, despite all the terrible things you've done in the past. Uh, and I'd like to say that if that, there's a message at all in my book, I think that's the message that God can reach you anywhere you are. Okay. And Roy, if uh, people want to get in touch with you or you know, maybe they have some additional questions for you about this, uh, is there a good way to get in contact with you? Well, I guess uh, either uh, you, they could email me at mandrakeroad uh, at att.net. Or uh, I have uh, uh, you know my my phone number, uh, which I don't know if you want to give that out or not. You don't that, have to. No, they can okay. the, the listeners if they want to, they can email me, and and I'll, I'll request it from you at that point if you feel comfortable with it. Sure, so that's that's that'd fine. be fine. Yep. All right. Well, Roy Ratcliffe, author of Dark Journey, Deep Grace. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And God bless. Well, thank you very much. Then. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show this week. I know that. Ron's story and, and the story with him and Jeffrey Dahmer is just pretty incredible. But I think the number one thing that we need to take away from the show this week is just remember, no matter how bad our failings, no matter how awful we have been, no matter how many sinful deeds we have done, there is always hope because Christ's grace extends from eternity to eternity. And it is free. It doesn't require us to do any act to earn that grace. It is strictly a gift. All we must do is repent repent, and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. I want to encourage you to tune in next week. Next week, it will be my pleasure to host Ray Comfort, and we'll be talking about gospel tracks, using them, designing them, stuff like that. So I'm really excited. I really encourage you to tune in next week. So until next week, go out there, stand for truth, reach the lost. God bless.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the EIE Radio Podcast. If you would like to make sure that this podcast stays on the air, please check out the Support Us page at eieradio.com to find out how you can help us in our continuing mission to help Christians stand for truth and reach the lost. Thank you.